This message is pretty heavy, so I want to start off with a joke that I made up. Oh yeah, trust me. I think it's good. Anyway, I told it yesterday in the brewery, so I see some of you here that were there, don't give it away. What did the farmer say to his donkey who was pulling a wagon load of hay? He hauls. He hauls, he hauls. Okay, anyway, thank you. That's not bad, is it? You know, it's hard to avoid a a bad joke from the pulpit, isn't it? You have to listen. There are certain things in life we should avoid. Sushi in a gas station. Milk that's 10 or 15 days past its expiration date. Of course, this year... We've all tried to avoid, and we're coming up on the year anniversary of COVID. I know some of us were successful and some of us were not. But there are some things in life that we should not avoid. A friend that needs us. Saying I love you to a person that we love. And one important thing we should not avoid is grief and lamenting. I remember one time, actually it was the first time when grief came knocking at the door of my life. I remember it like it happened this morning. During my senior year in high school, I was working at Tandy's IGA in Rising Sun, small town Rising Sun, Indiana. I was putting new produce, lettuce heads, and other things into the produce area. I looked over and I saw my brother Chris and my girlfriend Sue walking briskly toward me. Their faces did not look good and I knew it was not good news. My brother told me that my beloved grandmother Mary had died suddenly. I was introduced to two new emotions that I had never experienced because it was the first time that I lost a loved one close to me. She was one of my everythings. And those two emotions was agony and despair. Without warning, Grandma Mary had a, through a blood clot, and uh, within seconds her body had died and her soul passed away. My response was to slump over on all of that lettuce. You know what's strange is I still see When I see lettuce in a row, I think of that day. Association attached to that automatically. Funny how anything can trigger an emotion like that all over again. Maybe it's a song that occurs in a a bad time of life. Maybe it's a hospital where a loved one has passed away or a place where there's a breakup. For me, with my grandmother Mary's passing, it's a row of lettuce. Right there. Many times we don't want to deal with our loss, and so maybe we avoid things that have to do with loss. We avoid funerals, or if we can't avoid them, we try to sanitize them to make them less painful, don't we? There are times we avoid or or numb our raw feelings and emotions because they can be too overwhelming. During this season of Lent, we are examining 
150 chapters of the book of Psalms. And many of these Psalms are about praise and thanksgiving, but there's a third of them that deal with lamenting. I like what J.D. Walt says, that maybe it's because a third of our life really has, has to do with grief and lamenting, especially as we live our lives in this human journey. The psalmists are not afraid to talk to God about deep sorrow, grief, and pain. Listen to David's lament in Psalm 13, and I love the video uh, that was shared this morning, the song about it. Take a look at this. How long, Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumphant over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God, give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. I don't know if you felt this way. The psalm is raw. It's real. There's crying. There is pain. This psalm maybe makes you feel uncomfortable. I know it does me. This psalm brings careful questions like these. If David felt this way, if he felt that God had forgotten him, what chance do I have in my feelings? Should these things even be said out loud, God, to you? Is it okay to state these kinds of words? Is David displaying a lack of faith? If you had faith, maybe you would say, you shouldn't feel that way. Is it okay to weep uncontrollably? To scream and shake your fist at God, like this psalm says? Is it a sign of weakness? That's a good question, especially for us men, isn't it? Hmm? (laughs) Guys, I had a parishioner tell me, Pastor, I haven't cried in years. My heart kind of dropped in my stomach, and I was sad for him. Is lamenting a sign of failing faith? I don't know about you, but there's unspoken pressure from society and possibly even the church to avoid these questions and try not to show emotion, especially the raw emotion that comes when tragedy strikes. Many times we reach out to people and we say, oh, don't cry, don't cry, don't cry. It's like we're saying, stop crying because you're making me feel uncomfortable. (laughs) You know, it's not. Here's the truth. Take it to the bank of life, my friends. We need to learn how to grieve. Why? And I thought about it. Opportunities to grieve will come more and more prevalent as we grow older. We need to lament. We need to allow these psalms of lament to remind us that even the most faithful saints of God lament. We should lament too. It's not just lamenting a loved one. It could be lamenting 
Maybe the death of a relationship, a loss of job. We could even lament a choice we made or a, a choice another person made that's targeted and hit us. And many times we choose not to go there. That's a term you hear a lot. Don't go there. Don't you go there. It's like we don't want to deal with that pain inside. I know what happens when you bottle up those feelings <laughs> because I've done it. And I can tell you it leads to depression. It leads to fear. It leads to anxiety. It leads to alienation from God and alienation from others. There's empirical evidence that shows that our denial and occupying ourselves with other things in order to lead away from true lamenting could possibly lead us into widespread deep depression and anxiety and addiction as well. Addiction can preoccupy us so that we don't have to deal with feelings of loss. I remember I was in officer training school and I was down there a couple months at Maxwell Air Force in Montgomery, Alabama, and the Air Force flew me home here to Cincinnati. Uh, my mother-in-law and father-in-law lived, my father-in-law still does, lived right off, right off the 8 Mile, and I came back home because my mother-in-law was actively dying. There was a family friend there that for some reason kept pouring wine in a glass and not allowing one particular person's glass to go empty. It wasn't me, but I kind of got ticked off at it. It's as if she was saying, don't feel this. Don't take this right now. Just gloss it over. Depressions may, may be the result of years of refusing to deal with loss and pain and failure and disappointment, and we turn into don't-go-there people. In a devotion on lamenting, J.D. Walt writes, I am becoming convinced that depression is so rampant precisely because lament is so repressed. Think about it. Years after years of life's ordinary disappointments, wounds, broken relationships, lost opportunities, sinful mistakes, grievous losses, deaths, and on we could go. Unlamented, held inside, slowly repressed, and exiled to the Siberian wasteland of our souls, it's not enough to permanently alter, or it's enough to permanently alter a person's internal brain chemistry. This is what causes so much depression. We must learn and do grief and lamenting. You see, David doesn't gloss over his emotion in saying what he needs to say to God. David doesn't hold back. David demands an answer. Despair comes to him and he expresses intense emotion. And there's repetition. How long? How long? How long, God? And he fills this psalm. And Psalm 13 is only six verses long, but it's packed with angry words. We don't know the specific circumstances of what David is going through there. Whether or not David blames God for the grief that's caused, but he certainly holds God responsible for the perpetuation of what he's feeling in his emotions. How long, Lord, will, will you forget me forever? It's not 
that David worries that he's merely slipped God's mind. He's worried that God is deliberately uh, ghosting him in his thoughts and feelings. As if David is saying, I call out, no answer. I run to you, you hide. People stepping all over me, you don't care. It's bad enough when life takes a sudden turn for the worse to feel like the prayers just kind of bounce off the ceiling and then fall flat to the floor. And that happens sometimes. I've been a pastor for a lot of years now. And I tell people it's okay to give God a piece of your mind. He can take it. It's okay to get ticked off sometimes. Because this life is very difficult. It is. But here's why. God can operate in both realms of sympathy and empathy. God understands his beloved children and the circumstances and things that life deals. The Bible is filled with many examples of people giving God the what for. God's chosen people, they were groaning in Egypt as slaves for 430 years. How long? How long? Oh God, Job cried out, and things didn't get better. Things, circumstances got worse and perpetuated. St. Paul lamented that there was this thorn in his side, and he kept pleading, pleading for it to be removed. What's yours today? What circumstances right now seem to be perpetuating? David's sitting right there with you. The same human journey he took, and he felt abandoned. In the psalm, David says, How long will you hide your face from me? And I think that's one of David's David's biggest fears. The Israelites always believed that when the face of the Lord was turned toward you, that was a sign of God accepting and drawing near a sign of blessing, a sign of saying, I see you, my child, and I value you. In number six, we have the recorded blessing that God gave to Aaron to bless his people. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. And I know we've heard that benediction before. So this makes David panic-stricken. Is he asking, is God finished looking at me? David's thinking, God can't even look at me. Think about the fact when you can't even look at a person. That's like the ultimate rejection, isn't it? Mm -mm. I'm not going to even look at you. And that's what David is feeling. David's admitting that there's some disturbing realities that happen even as the people of God. There are times when life is difficult and there's no easy answers. There's no quick fixes. But then there's this change. There's this shift that happens in David. You might have heard it in the song. I was talking to Eric as he was uh, over at Salem there. And he said, you know what? There's a key change, Jonathan. There's a modulation. And what makes that modulation is verse 5. A major shift of thinking that David has. 
Let's look at this. But I trust your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. What's going on here? How did David go so quickly from grief and lamenting into trust and praise? Why the sudden change? Maybe David begins to take spiritual inventory and look at facts about the unfailing love of God that has made him trust. He lets lament roll out, but then he pauses. And it could have been a day or a week before he wrote verse 5. He goes right into trusting God's unfailing love, goodness, and salvation. He's mindful of the fact that God's love and grace never fails. And we know that. We've heard it before. 1 Corinthians 13, the end of it says, Love never fails. Especially God's love never fails. He has evidence that this covenant love is continuous and will never, never, never end. And we're going to the table today and we celebrate that new covenant in Christ Jesus and the sacrificial love of God that will never break covenant with us. God's love, grace, and mercy have always been there and remain in there, especially those who who make covenant with him. You and I together as a covenant people. You see, David's psyche goes to the fact that God does keep his promises even when you don't feel it. But David knows it. David laments that he does not walk away from God. And I want to say to that, that to you today. A lot of times people grieve and they lament and they allow it just to go and drop them to a bottom place where they do leave God. Don't do that. Trust that God will heal in his love. And then there's one more mental default that David goes to as well, and that is praise. David praises God and remembers that praise is another remedy. Why do we praise God in the midst of lamenting? There's a couple things. First of all, we praise God for God's salvation that we have. Praise and salvation are always intertwined in the Bible like a tight rope. The word salvation is deeply embedded in the word rescue. Naturally, when a person is rescued... From an enemy or illness or circumstance or situation, most of the time there's, thank you for rescuing me. <laughs> thank you, thank you. And that's, a, that's something we have to cling to as well. God has rescued you. Think about how many times God has rescued you. I know he's rescued me. A lot of it is rescuing me out of stupid things I do. <laughs> time and time again, Jesus shows this rescue. Jesus heals someone and there's an immediate response of praise. In Luke chapter 13, 10 through 13, on a Sabbath it says he was teaching in the synagogues and a woman who had been there was crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up. And when Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, woman, you are set free from your infirmity. And then he put his hands on her and immediately she straightened up and praised God. The first thing that we see in this scripture is that Jesus sees her. His face is turned toward her. 
He sees her. She does not seek Jesus out. He seeks her out. He sees her infirmity. His face turns to her. He calls for her to come to him. She follows his instructions. He proclaims freedom from her infirmity. And then he puts his hands on her. He touches his beloved daughter. And right away, bam, she straightens up. And what does she do? She praises God for rescuing her from her crippled state. Not only is the woman healed physically, but something quickly happens to this woman's heart. And I think it totally dissolved the grief and lament. 18 years of grief and lament. She's rescued and she immediately praises her rescuer. Praising God for our salvation is a balm to help our grief and lament. Praising God despite of our, despite of our circumstances will never go void, my friends. Take inventory on the faithfulness of God in ways and times that he has rescued you. Lastly, David praises God because of his goodness. Despite all that has happened to David, he will sing praise because God is good. He's a God who is near, not far away. He is a God who listens and does not ignore and have a deaf ear. He is a God who sees and does not turn away. We worship a living God that is good, my friends. And I know sometimes during what we're going through, and like I said, it's been almost a year, God is good. Even in a pandemic, God is good. All the time. All the time. And like David, we should take a goodness inventory. You write it down and ponder how you've seen his goodness. Several months ago, my Fresh Expressions coach did an exercise with me. She had me take, make three columns on paper. And one column listed what the pandemic has taken away. One column, she wanted me to list what the pandemic has not taken away. And then one column, she had me list what the pandemic has added to my life. This short exercise changed my perspective. It was a goodness inventory. Yes, I found that there were things that were taken away. There was lament, too, with what I lost. But I know it's not permanent. It helped me focus on the fact that God is still good, and then I found that what he has added, as I really thought about it, that the list on the side of what was added was longer than what was taken away. And I encourage you to do the same. God helped me grow a lot this year. I just didn't go through this past year. I believe I grew through it. It was tough and frustrating. There's still grief, but at the same time, God's goodness endures forever and ever. Last, one key word here, if you caught it, David uses the word trust. David decided to trust in God's unfailing love. It's interesting, and I, I believe it was trust that enabled David to complain in the first place. You think about that. He trusted God enough to shake his fist at God. Isn't that true of a good relationship? To be able to trust and say, you know what? Oh, here's how I'm feeling. You have room to complain in a really right relationship, don't you? 
I have to admit that there's times I come in here on Sunday mornings with a heavy heart and I don't feel like singing. I don't feel like praying. I don't feel like preaching. I don't feel like worshiping. Does that make me a hypocrite or a person who doesn't trust God? No. There's probably a lot of heavy hearts today. And maybe this sermon's kind of making you feel a little bummed out anyway. But here's what I've discovered. I don't change my feelings to change my behavior. I change my behavior to change my feelings. So I choose to worship the Lord even though I don't feel like it. And in doing that, my feelings change. It might take a half of a song or maybe one full song, but that rust, that dirt, the crud of the week begins to shake off and then my hands start going up and I experience that freedom. I choose to worship. Neurolinguistics has discovered a link between body posture and mood. Slump over, let your shoulders drop, and look to the floor and try to be happy. Do it sometime. Experiment. It's hard. Now throw back your shoulders, look up, keep your face looking up to the Lord, and try to have a sad thought. It's hard to do. So when I come to worship, and I've had a rough week, and I'm not in the mood for worship, I sing and I make my body posture in praise because I trust in the unfailing love of God in my salvation that I am rescued and I am his beloved son. That's what we should do too. And it helps remedy. I know there's times where you don't want to wake up on a Sunday morning. You don't feel like coming to worship. But we need to regather, re-engage. And not allow fear to keep us from worshiping God. Because I think fear keeps us below lamenting. Worship is a, is a place where we're welcomed by God to bring our pain. And we find God is there ready to shoulder our burdens, our suffering, and our distress. Throughout the psalm, God's people are encouraged to lift up their hands in the holy sanctuary and temple together. And so you're not just doing this alone, you're doing it corporately. And that's what's incredible about lament and grief, is that we grieve together at times and we're there for each other. And we're not alone. That's what's incredible about coming together in corporate worship. Throughout the Psalms, God's people are encouraged to lift up their hands in the sanctuary, lift up their voice and sing, and lift up their eyes to the heavens constantly. Difficult week at work? Lift up your eyes and praise the Lord. Bad news about your health? Lift up your eyes. Praise the Lord. Tired of COVID? Lift up your eyes. Praise the Lord. Trust in His unfailing love. Now, am I suggesting that you deny reality? No. But I'm pleading for you to make a cognitive shift into a higher reality of existence in a life in the spirit that God desires for us to live in. Knowing God not only understands, he sees your pain and he's available to you, listening and ready as you cry out in your heartache, anger, and sadness. Therefore, praise God for rescuing you. Praise God for his goodness and teaching 
Praise God for all that God has done. Take spiritual inventory. 